Before you listen to this great episode of Partner with Survivor, we'd just like to tell you about a powerful new practice tool the Safe and Together Institute has launched. Our perpetrator pattern mapping tool has been available for 10 years, but now it's available for the first time in a web-based version. What it does is really help you map perpetrators' patterns of behavior onto child family functioning, talk about its intersections with mental health, substance abuse, and other issues, address intersectionalities, worker safety, all in an easy-to-use online package that protects the confidentiality of your information and lets you wrap it all up in a neat little package, basically, to print it out and to kind of document all those different pieces of information. This is a tool that can be used by both survivors and practitioners. And for the very first time, it's available immediately online without any other prior training. The training is embedded in this powerful practice tool so that teams uh, that have not been trained in Safe and Together can immediately begin mapping in an effective way. That's right. It's like having a safe and together coat in your back pocket is what I like to say. There you go. So we really encourage you to go to our virtual academy, academy.safetytotherinstitute.com. Check it out. You know, you can subscribe to it immediately or you can check out a free demo version for 30 days. So please reach out to us and try this new tool. Now enjoy this great episode of Partner with Survivor. And we're back. This is another Minnesota episode, or Minnesota. I keep getting it wrong. Minnesota. <laughs> Minnesota. Minnesota. Minnesota partner with That's a survivor. That's right there. That's right. This is Partner with a Survivor. I'm David Mandel, Executive Director of the Safe and Together Institute. And I'm Ruth Jones Mandel, and I am the e-learning communications and strategic relationship manager. And we are not in Minnesota. No, no. We are on Tunxis land in, in Connecticut. Connecticut where the traditional owners' lands have been the Tunxis people, part of the larger Algonquin nation. Which is a living and thriving nation. That's right. Um, and we are doing a mini-sewed series on worker safety. And well-being. And well-being. That's right. Yeah. And this is the third episode in that series. And the last one we did was um, the one on, on how workers could be targeted by clients. Yes. And this mm. one is about the connection between worker safety and engaging perpetrators and mother blaming. Correct. That's right. So you can you can frame go ahead and frame the 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 initial piece of the problem here in your mind. Okay. So workers have often not been supported through education and training to have this operational practical understanding of how fathers influence child and family functioning. So this means that when they go out and work with families, they don't have a map when they see problems in the family that, that allows them to explore and go back to looking at how might a male caregiver be influencing truancy or medical issues, not getting medical care or, or other neglect issues, you know, or behavioral problems. And this stems from not believing that male caregivers are impactful to the well-being of their children. That's right. Good health. or bad. And important. Or bad. They're not, it's They're not looking important. at their importance. Right. And, and so that means that in addition to that, they often don't have the, they haven't been given, they haven't been trained or expected to have skills to engage um, 
uh, with fathers. I'm not talking about violent fathers right now. The confidence or the experience to do that. So again, mm-hmm. so if you have these two things, a lack of a mental map and then a lack of experience around engagement. And, and then both of those things are amplified when you're talking about violent fathers, right? Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. that issue. And now we have an issue about um, fears about making things worse fears about confronting someone violent about their behaviors. Mm-hmm. And and so that's exacerbated by this lack of of a framework for kind of building rapport with men in general, just a lack of experience building rapport with men in general. So, so when we look at this issue, it can even be worse if we're talking about men from marginalized communities where those men have been further vilified as being dangerous, irresponsible, irrelevant. Mm-hmm, so, so mm-hmm. like, yeah, uh, like on top of, on top so of, we, on top so we of. Have, we have the, the, the inability of the system to focus on the right person in a lot of levels. But how does that dump into worker safety? Well, it means that when they are looking at issues of child safety and well-being, and that's not just child protection. That could be family court. It could be lots of different places. It could be housing, mm-hmm. mental health. Tons of places. Services. They're always thinking about kids. Right, right. Um that that gap or those levels of resistance or fears um, about safety um, means that if I've got a job to keep kids safe, mm-hmm. then I'm going to focus on the path I'm comfortable with, familiar. Mm-hmm. And then culturally, I have higher standards and expectations around, which is the mom. Mm-hmm. So there's a direct connection with that lack of skills, confidence, mm-hmm. and experience working with fathers than working with violent fathers. Right. That really makes it um, really creates this environment or supports an environment where mom, you've got to do this. Mom, you've got to do that. The kids are going to be safe. You've got to go to refuge. You've got to leave the relationship. You've got, right. and, and, and we've got this kind of perfect kind of storm around this. And so this is the connection. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's, there's tons of stories I can tell you about when workers have actually addressed their fears, have been supported that actually it changes the way they work with the entire family, not just with that right. violent father, right. but it, it, it allows for more partnering with survivors. So mm-hmm. when when we think about what agencies can do about this. Well, let's define a little bit more the danger to workers, because I feel like you've defined the problem with not working with men. But what happens in that environment that creates danger for workers when they don't know how to engage in this way? Well, well, the danger for workers comes with their their feelings of not feeling safe psychologically, mm-hmm. them feeling like they they're not prepared. Mm-hmm. So what you'll get is is actually you won't get somebody saying I'm scared. They'll say things like I can't find him, or even if I found him, he wouldn't change. And so a lot of the the kind of signs of unsafety aren't presented by workers as I'm unsafe. Well, if you don't know a person's pattern of behaviors in the first place, you're operating within a lack of uh, utilizable information about your your safety risks and the dangers involved. And that is a that's a primary flaw in the system when it doesn't gather those patterns of behaviors. I can't tell you as part of the inception of the model was asking workers, um, uh, can you tell me about the perpetrator's pattern of behavior, Mm -hmm. including as he ever targeted people outside the family. And they didn't know right. most of the time. Right. And so so this idea of you asking this question about what's the danger, the danger is often um unformed. Mm-hmm. It's it's just there. Mm-hmm. It's 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 kind of um an assumption. Mm-hmm. It's it's often not really codified. And so when you don't codify it, when you don't explicitly focus on it, you're you either make it worse 
than it is in your mind. You make it less than it is in your mind. You ignore it. And so I think, you know, it's interesting your question about how does it show up as danger to workers? Well, I think it shows up in, in kind of shared kind of avoidance. Well, I can see that shared avoidance and lack of documentation and lack of focus on that pattern of behavior as a potential threat to workers' safety can lead to a lot of different types of harm. And if you think about how many calls police officers go on for domestic violence, and we're working in an incidence-focused system, they really hasn't gathered together the information about whether or not that perpetrator has a gun, how many times the officer has visited that house, if there were threats made to the officer, if there were threats made to social workers, so that we can really look at and risk assess the, the, the reality of that abuser and what they could do to, to different types of workers within the system. And I think this is where racism and stereotyping can really play in the lack of actually a formal way of kind of assessing danger to workers and thinking about risk mm -hmm. because you start in a lot of cultures that we're working in, there'll be a lot of attribution wrongly of, of greater levels of violence to, to, to black men, to indigenous men, mm -hmm. uh, to poor white men even. Mm -hmm. And, and people will make mistakes and sort of, um, thinking if somebody's educated, if they're white, if they've got a good job, that they're automatically less of a danger to them or, right. And, or their family. And, you well, know, and yes. so that's, that, right that's now, a real problem as well. We're making those analyses based off of things that are, that are rooted in biases and assumptions. That's right. Rather than actual factual patterns of evidence which needs to change. So let me tell you one story and then let's talk about what agencies can do. One story in the positive is presented a case. This is part of a project in Australia and they were very scared of this guy. They had to work with him and the workers um, um, developed a really robust safety plan for meeting with him in the office, mm -hmm. picking a room with two exits so they couldn't be trapped, having a third person outside. And, and, and so they really developed a very robust plan for their own safety and then their engagement with him met initial resistance, but they persisted despite the resistance. And by the end of the that that engagement, he identified he had a problem, and he was. They were talking about what he could do to make changes. And I don't believe they would have actually persisted, yeah, if they didn't feel safe, right. And so, if you think about somebody responsible for child safety mm -hmm. who doesn't engage somebody or or kind of backs off at the first level of resistance. Or, or doesn't try to find them, but still has the job to keep kids safe. Well, they're going to keep going back to that mom. Mom, you need to do this. Mom, you need to do that. Mom, you need to leave. And so I see every time I see workers feeling more confident and supported and expected to do these engagements, not mm -hmm. um, without the support because they need it, that I see not only success in that work with that person, right. that male caregiver, it's, it's often going to be a success for that work with a survivor because she's going to not look at them and go, oh, you're just as scared of him as I am. Mm -hmm. You know, workers kind of resist. Survivors are watching them and they're going, you don't want to talk to him. Well, it's not even watching for whether or not they're, they're comfortable and feel safe to talk to him. It's whether or not they can see through those manipulations as well and identify that's right. the reality. That's right. And that's, that's why the, the, the engagement has to be, uh, you know, uh, sophisticated and actually, right. you know, be grounded in perpetrators' patterns. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now can I want to talk about what agencies can do. Do it. All right. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Um. One is obviously to train workers 
to have the skills and confidence to assess the influence of all father's choices on the family functioning, not just seeing the mom as the responsible party for the functioning. So I think we need this foundation of just working with dads. And we need this foundation that's not just dads are great. Dads matter and not, their choices matter. Well, not just dad matters, actually. <laughs> dad's choices matter. This right. behavioral focus is right. so important yeah. to the work. Right. Um, and then um, have them really have the confidence to assess it and then engage, you know, mm-hmm. both those things. Um, even with histories of violence. Mm-hmm. And so that becomes part of the, it's not just a one-off. It's not a special population. It's just the way you work with families. Right. Okay. Um, make whole of family work a priority for the agency top to bottom and incorporate this in, in, in reflective supervision. And that means that it's not up to individual workers to prioritize engaging men. It's for agencies to think about the entire family. And this is about being good allies to adult survivors, child survivors, mm-hmm. is is don't just think about um, uh, those violent fathers as being sort of just the bad guy that people need to get away from. But they really need to kind of, we need to really engage and work with in a non-naive way. Mm-hmm. Um Make conversations about worker emotional and physical safety a regular proactive part of of how we engage or part of the supervision around engaging with families at domestic violence as a factor. And so it's it's supervisors and team leaders, managers can't wait for the worker to bring it up. Right. They need to actively explore. Yeah. You have to have a plan. Right. And you need to start out assuming that these are going to be fraught cases yep. for workers. And there's and going to be conflict and there's going to be threats. Get ahead better, of it. You better bring it up, it. discuss yeah. it, make normalize it for workers. Yeah. I think not planning for it is is a is a is a level of negligence which which really puts workers in positions that are dangerous and right. Will lead to bad practice, and it is going to be counter counterintuitive, counterproductive to our goals. Really, not having a plan, and 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 letting workers know, setting a culture, where workers know that sharing worries will not be judged. Right. I think workers often have a fear that I will be told I can't do the job. Right. I'm not strong enough. I'm not tough enough. This, these are hard families. Yeah. So just that culture of not judging for sharing worries, mm-hmm. and and then lastly to uh, make sure that um, domestic violence is explicitly mentioned in any worker safety policy. And, 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 and there's a lot more we could talk about, like, like threat assessment team meetings and stuff like that. I'm not saying this is the totality. But when I reviewed worker safety policies for, for agencies that are, are going into the homes and communities, I almost never see domestic violence explicitly recognized as a potential worker safety issue. Right. I see very generic language. I don't see it addressing that dynamic. And so I think that's something agencies need to take on. And since we know that domestic violence perpetrators have a high rate of criminality, including violence towards other people, terrorism, and those type of criminality behaviors, we actually have to plan for it. We have to assume that this person is perpetrating in multiple places and abusing many different people in many different settings. Well, at least have that as as a framework of, of, of... Assessment, yes, because that's not necessarily true in every case. Right, but be able right. to look at it. But we have to it. know it's a potential. We have to know it's a potential. Okay, yeah. so here we are. This is always a sprint for me. I'm always mm-hmm. like, like saying, are, are we doing this mm-hmm. in the right time? But I think we're right at time. Yes, we are. So, been you've been listening to uh, our mini so series around worker safety and well being. We're trying to drop some knowledge in little bite sized chunks. And I am Ruth Jones Mandel. 
um, e-learning and communications and strategic relationship manager. I am David Mandel, executive director of the Safe and Together Institute. And if you would like more information, please go to our website, safeandtogetherinstitute.com or academy.safeandtogetherinstitute.com. And we are out. out. Thank you.